Bob Goff is an award-winning writer, best-selling book called Love Does. And in one of those chapters, he talks about how he was trying to become an, an attorney, a lawyer. He felt like God was trying to help. He wanted, Bob thought he wanted to be part of changing the world for good. And he felt like becoming an attorney would be the means of doing that. Now, the problem with becoming an attorney is you have to go to law school. And the problem with law school is his words, I wasn't the smartest kid growing up. He took the law school entrance exam and did so poorly on it that all of his letters that he sent with his uh, accompanying tests, the law schools, like some of the law schools, he said, didn't even write him back because he knew that they knew that they didn't have a chance. Other, some other law schools wrote him back, but in his, in his, you know, his letters of, no, you're not coming, they, they mailed his check back, his application check back, because they just pitied him and figured, you know what, anybody that scores that low on the LSAT probably needs every dime to themselves, right? They, they, so after receiving a bunch of rejection letters, he still feel, felt like he needed to go to law school. So he picked the law school he wanted to go to made an appointment with the dean of that law school and met with him five days before school started. He walked in that dean's office, shook his hand with a firm grip, looked him in the eyes and said, I want to come to your law school. And the, and the dean took his hand, at, then took it away, put his hand on his back and then walked him to the door and said, it's been great meeting you. And as the door was closing, Bob Goff stopped the door with his foot and said, listen, dean, I know how things work. And this is how this works. All you have to do is say to me, go buy your books, and I'm in. You're the man that can get me into this law school. You can just go around the whole test score thing. So just say it. Just say it. Go buy your books. And the dean said, it's been nice meeting you. Next day, five days before school starts, he, Bob Goff, is sitting on a bench right outside the dean's office. And every time the dean would go in and out of that office, Bob Goff would look at him and say, just say, go buy your books. Go buy your books. Four days left. Three days left. Two days. He's been sitting out there for, what, four days now. He knows the dean's schedule. He knows when he goes to the, for his bathroom breaks. He knows when he goes to the gym. He knows his appointments. He knows everything about him. And he's just sitting at that, desk, that bench and each and every time, back and forth, back and forth. But still nothing. And then it's the day school starts. So Bob Goff is thinking, oh, I better get there early. And so he's there 7 o'clock in the morning, parked on that bench, ready for those words to be said to him. And the dean doesn't even come to work that day. So he thinks, well, I'll just stay here anyway. And so the day one of school starting, he's sitting on that bench. Every time the dean comes and goes, say the words, go buy the books, go buy your books. Just say, go buy your books. Day two. Day three, school has started. They're three days into this. And Bob Goff says, I am three days behind in a law school that I haven't even been accepted to. We got to get going here. Day four, nothing happens. Day five, he hears the dean come down the hallway and he's thinking to himself, wait a minute. He's not going to the gym. He doesn't have appointments this time of day. He doesn't even take his bathroom breaks just now. And while he's noodling all this in his head, he sees the feet in front of him. He looks up, and the dean is standing over him. And he winks at Bob and says, go buy your books. And that's how he got into law school. 
He nagged his way into law school. He bothered his way. He shamelessly pestered the dean until he relented. And listen, uh, it turns out Bob did pretty good things with that law degree. And amongst the many good things he does, he is adjunct faculty. He's an adjunct professor at Pepperdine School of Law, and he teaches specializing in law for, you know, nonprofit organizations. The reason I tell you that story is because I think that story, Bob Goff could tell us a few things about how to pray. Because when you listen to Jesus teach on prayer, it's going to sound a lot like Bob Goff trying to get into law school. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples are watching Jesus pray. After he prayed, they said to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. And when he does, he's going to teach them three principles. And I'll bet most people in this room know those three principles, but you don't do them. You might have even heard a lot of this answer to the question, teach us to pray, but we don't do it. We don't pray to God all the time about everything. We don't wear him down with prayer. I mean, some, some of us, when we do pray, I imagine God said, whoa, I, <laughs> how, hey, how you doing? I mean, heard from you in such a long time. In this passage, these will change your life if you do them. And Jesus is going to tell us why we don't. That's why I love this passage. He tells us why we don't pray and we know we should be. So the first thing he teaches us, the first principle is pray to your father. Pray to your father. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus teaches to pray. Jesus says, so he tells him this, when you pray, say this, father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now that prayer probably looks familiar to some of you, right? It's a shorter version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. But in, in, the, in this, I want you to see what it says about God and our relationship with God. It says this, that God, Yahweh, is king. He says, pray thy kingdom come. Yahweh is king. It says that Yahweh is a holy king. He says, pray, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You're a holy king. And he says this. He says, Yahweh, the holy king, is our father. Jesus says, when you pray, you pray, father. Lord, teach us to pray. Yeah, well, start right here. The high and holy king is your father. That's the relationship you have with him. He's not your boss. So many people in the church and outside the church think that this is Christianity. You have a relationship with God so that I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to give myself over to you. I'm going to do stuff for you, God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible, and I hope that you, like, pay me back in some contact some context. And fundamentally, if you look, if you had to define the relationship most people have in the church and outside the church, it looks like a relationship with a boss. It looks like, you know, you do me stuff and I'll do you stuff. And so their prayer, okay, because the relationship is in their mind, the relationship is like that. So their prayers and they're consistent, they're disciplined. And so they pray twice a day at least and their long devotions, don't get me wrong, but they go like this. Okay, Lord, uh, we're starting my day out, and here's like four things that I'm going to need to get done today. 
and I need your supernatural help. And I was wondering if you had stuff for me to do. Okay, got it. You have three things. Uh-huh. And I will be ethical and, and I'll work hard and, and I'll talk to that guy at work, you know, about Jesus. Got it. End of the day putting themselves down at night. Okay, let's review. Okay, the four things. I, I got three of my four things done. Thanks. You know, thanks for that. And then I got two of your things. Yeah, I'm working on. And I almost had that conversation with that worker about Jesus. So, okay, see you tomorrow. We'll talk again. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, you know, sure, look at that prayer. It's not that kind of prayer because it's not that kind of relationship. He, you're not talking to your boss. You're talking to your father. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, yeah, you start right here, that God, the king, the holy king of all the universe, that God is your father. And so you talk to him like a father. Look what it says in, in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, as many as received him, as believed in his name, to them he gave authority to become children of God. We have the authority of children of God. So, okay, so picture yourself, like visualize this, getting into this throne room of God to the most holy king. You're going up there, surely it is guarded by angels, and you start walking in, and the guard says, what do you think you're doing? I wanted to go in there, and I have some words to say to the king. And he says, who do you think you are? And you say, I'm his son. And the angel says, you don't look anything like him. And you say, I'm adopted. <laughs> I'm his adopted son. And he said, I can come in there anytime I want. And the guard says, okay, so just tap on the door because he's really busy and he doesn't like, you know, banging. And so you just bang, boom, boom, boom. He says, I can bang on the door. And the father says, I know that banging. Who's that? That's my son. You come on in here. Let's talk. Can you imagine that kind of relationship with God? One that's between a father and a son or a father and a daughter? Too good to believe? Yeah, it kind of is. And so Jesus says, okay, teach me to pray. Pray this way. Pray to the Father. But I'm going to tell you more. I'm going to tell you a little parable, you know, a little story that leads to truth. Shamelessly shamelessly bother the father. Jesus is going to tell a story so that we can grasp this. And here's, here's how the story begins. Here's the parable as it starts. And then Jesus says to them, okay, suppose you have a friend, okay? And you go to him at midnight and say, hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because another friend of mine is on a journey and he came here in the middle of the night and now I have no food to offer him. Now, suppose the one that's inside the house that you're bugging, he says, he's going to say this, look, don't bother me. The, the door's already been locked, and my children are already in bed, and, and I can't get up, and I can't give you anything. It's going to wake the whole house up. And then Jesus says this. This is what prayer is supposed to be like. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet he will because of your boldness. Other translations, shameless audacity. Other translation, shameless persistence. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's how you ought to pray. Shamelessly bother your father. Let me just explain. I mean, every, most people back in that day lived in a one-room house. And all you parents know this. When you put those kids down for the night, 
oh, you want them to stay down for the night, okay? And so the neighbor comes in, and he's tapping on your door, not because of an emergency. No one's bleeding or needing, you know, physical kind of help. It's because he's entertaining guests that he didn't expect to come in at that time. Now, this is a big thing in the Middle East then and now, but so he's tapping on the door going, hey, you gotta let me have a, three loaves of bread. I mean, I'm gonna lose face on this thing. He showed up way later and we don't have any food for him. Come on, and the guy's like, shh, don't wake up the kids. I mean, it's gonna be three or four hours to get these kids back into bed. He goes, I just need something to eat. And so what does the guy do? He says, look, fine. Here's everything. Here's three loaves of bread. Here's a side of beef. Here's keys to my camel. Just get out of my house. Do not wake up my kids. And Jesus is saying, why did he do all that for him? Because of their friendship? Maybe they're not friends anymore because of his kindness? No. He says in the passage here, it says because of his boldness. And boldness can be translated to be shameless. Because of his rude badgering for stuff, his shameless persistence, because he kept saying, go buy your books. That's why he led him into the law school. That's why Jesus, when they said, Jesus teaches to pray, he says, yeah, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. Shamelessly bother God, your father. Shamelessly go to him because he's better than your sleepy friend. He's going, to be, he's going to be nicer than your not-so-nice friend right now, right? So Jesus teaches to pray. He says this, relentless, shameless, rudely, constant, wear him down. Bother your father. Who can do this? Who could be so brash? Who could be so rude? Who could be so persistent and get away with that? Only a child. And frankly, only your child, only my child can tug on my pant leg for so long. If your child tugs on my pant leg, he found the wrong pant leg. I mean, we all kind of know stories about that, right? Uh, oops. <laughs> wrong. That, you're not my parent. You're not my child. And God's saying, look, only, only the children of the most holy king can get away with this because of the doctrine of adoption. We're, do we're adopted into his family given them authority to become children of God. Lord, teach us to pray. He doesn't say, oh, friend who's in heaven. And even, even the, if your friend was in heaven, God's better than that friend. Even if your friend was in heaven, he would grant you these things if you were so bold and persistent and shameless. But he says, no, no, don't say, oh, friend who art in heaven. He says, oh, father who art in heaven. He doesn't say, boss, give me these things. Your boss isn't going to let you nag on you all this time. He says, Father, Holy King, shamelessly bother them. Because only a child could do this. Only a child could get away with this. I mean, think about this. Um, if your father were the president of the United States, think about his importance. Think about the severity of his schedule. Think about the people that he needs to meet with. Think about his, just his security, Okay. Who could possibly grab and pull on the pants of your dad, the, the president of the United States? I, I hope no one except the child. Who can run full speed at the president? Only his child. Everyone else gets at least tasered, but probably more. 
You think an employee, secretary of state, could hide themselves under his desk? No. Who gets to do that? Only the child of the president. Only his child can dance on his rug in front of his desk. Only his child. And Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, you believe in him? He's granted you the authority. You have gained access to him for the purpose of intimacy, not for work, not for a check-in to see if your list is finished and you need another list. It's because you're his child. And the invitation is this. You should go and talk to him all the time about everything, all things, because you can. He'll listen to you. Tim Keller, I love this quote from Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. He says, the only person who can go to the president of the United States and ask for a drink of water at 4 a.m. would be the five-year-old daughter. That's true. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? He says, yeah. You need to understand the radical relational privilege that you have. A Christian prayer is a prayer that's based on the doctrine of adoption and is understanding that we are the child of the most holy king, but we're his child. And so we should talk to him about everything. We should nag him shamelessly about the things that are concerning to us. What's the most important, you know, I guess, value in our lives? So many of you that have children, it's your children, right? That's the first and foremost thing. And right now, these days, I know many of you are concerned about, like, how are they going to be educated? Who's going to educate them? What are they going to say? If you're part of Austin Independent School District, there's some curriculum coming forward, and you are very upset about what's going to be said, how it's going to be said, what context, who's doing this? Okay, yeah, I get that. Absolutely. Can I ask you something? Have you prayed about it? I mean, have you talked to... The father, your father, about that? Have you worn him down? Have you shamelessly badgered him on that? Have you gone to the king's throne room and have the audacity to not leave and just nag, nag, nag about these things? Because Jesus says, oh, yeah, that door's always open for you. (laughs) <laughs> Yahweh, he, he, he's, yeah, he's your friend, I guess, but he's a lot better than that friend that lives next door that gives you three loaves of bread and the side of beef and the keys of the camel. He's your father. Jesus teaches to pray, and Jesus says, yeah, come on in. Bother God with everything all the time. Talk to him commune back and forth. He's not your boss. He's better than your boss. He's not your friend. He's better than your friend. So Jesus, just to make the point, this isn't me. This is not my sermon now. This is Jesus' sermon on how to pray. Jesus teaches to pray. He says, pray to your father and shamelessly, right, nag him. And then he says this. This is the application section of his sermon. This is what he says. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you because it works. Seek and you'll find works. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Still working. Now he's going to say that again. 
You know why? Because it works. Everyone who seeks or everyone who asks receives it. Works. The one who seeks finds it. Yeah, going in there and, yeah, seeking, that works. It find, you'll find it. And the one who knocks, the door will be open to him. Still working. Six times Jesus is saying the exact same thing. Shamelessly badger and, 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 and communicate to God, your father, what you want. Six times he says the same thing. Do you see what he's doing? He's nagging you about nagging him. He is shamelessly bothering me about shamelessly bothering him. <laughs> See? Six times. And, I mean, I just kind of a icing on the cake here. All those words, those Greek words, the verbs, they're all in the present tense. So what that means is it's not just like one time. It means constantly and persistently into the future. So it's like ask, 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 seek, 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 knock, 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 knock. Just keep doing it. Come on, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> He's, he's just saying, bring persistent, nagging, excessive, shameless prayer. All you can, all you want. Do you do that? I mean, again, a lot of people in this room know this passage. A lot of, a lot of us know this to be true, that he's our father and, and he wants us to talk to him. But do we? Do we, like when we're driving to work, during our off time, when our brain is like kind of somewhere neutral, do we just... Chatted up with God, the King, the Holy One? No, we don't. When we're doing some monotonous things around the house, like cleaning up, are we just talking to the Lord about it? Why not? Mowing the lawn, walking in rectangles. That would be a great time to just talk. Fixing a meal. We don't do it. We know it's available. We don't do it. We have this great invitation that says, from God himself, that says, bother me. I'm your father. Talk to me about everything. Talk to me about nothing. Just talk to me. We don't do it. Why don't we do it? This is the third principle that Jesus brings us. He answers the question, why we don't talk to him. He adds this to our phrase. He says, shamelessly bother the good father. Shamelessly bother the good father. Look what he says. Then he tells another little thing. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? So you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus tells a quick little story about a basic meal. When your son asks you for a basic meal, he wants some eggs, he wants a little fish, he wants some fish and eggs, are you going to give him a snake and a scorpion? No, I wouldn't do that. Well, you who are evil know how to give good breakfasts. How about God who is good? Why don't you talk to him? He tells this why, why does he tell this story? Why would Jesus say this in the middle of a lesson that starts, Jesus teaches to pray? Is he the best teacher that's ever existed? He is. He's the wisest man to ever breathe. And in the, in the lesson, Jesus teaches to pray. He says, yeah, shamelessly beg your father. And then he comes up with this story. Why? 
because Jesus knows his audience. He knows me, and he knows you, and he knows the reason we don't spend our free time just chatting it up with the great high king is because we don't think he's good. Your prayer life, your prayer life is the clearest, deepest expression of how what you think about God. Your prayer life is the is the deepest and clearest expression of what you think about God. You write your prayers out, you could read them and you say, God's my boss, God's my friend, whatever. And Jesus is saying this, you know what? He's better than your friend, he's greater than a boss, and then he's like, you know what? He's greater than your father. He's greater than you being a father. You're a father, and you think you're doing a good job by giving, what, eggs and fish? You're evil. He's a good, good father. Here's the thing. Many of us, in our personal experience, when we hear the word father, we attach all kinds of things to that. And when Jesus says, pray to him, father, we connect those attachments some of us have our own experiences where we kind of had a father we didn't know. He wasn't very close. Or sometimes we felt like he didn't even like us, and maybe he didn't. And so we project an absent, distant, maybe even cruel father on God the Father. And so why would we talk to him, right? Why would we? I mean, I understand that. It's a little bit of my personal experience. And I remember 30 years ago thinking, I've got to change the definition of this word And it runs deep inside my soul, but this is not God the Father. He's a good, good Father. And I'll tell you this. If you had the perfect Father on this planet, you are still haunted by this need of correction. Because Adam and Eve, the first family, they pretty much had God as their Father. And the first temptation of the first family went like this. Has he really said? Hasn't he withheld something good from you? I mean, if you take from that tree, you could become so much more. You could become like God. And so we live in two realms. And if you had an absolute pristine father that led by example of what it means to be godly and was becoming like Christ in all of life, good for you. You don't have as much homework. But you have to undo a lot of programming, hauntings, definitions that, that are not from here. And you have, to, you have to come to this realization that Jesus teaches this section on prayer because we don't think God is good. And I want to tell you, I want to, the reason Jesus says, here's what you need to shamelessly, you know, shamelessly beg and, and plead your case before the good God, he does this and it's kind of a trick. He, this invitation is an invitation not for requests to be answered, but for a relationship to be developed. It is for a conversation to be had. Jesus is saying, come on, come on, relentlessly, rudely bring your request known to God because he wants to have a conversation with you. Yeah, 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 watch this. Bring all your, bring even the small and trivial stuff. All your stuff is small and trivial. Everything to God is small and trivial. If there's anything big for God, he's not that big of a God. So it's like, it's like yeah, bring him all your stuff, all, everything. He just wants to have a good conversation with you because it's in the small and trivial, it's in the casual conversations that you develop a deep relationship in real life. 
and he wants to be part of that. Come, bring him everything. Just talk about everything with him because then you're going to find out what he's like. You're going to find out that you're accepted by him, that you are known by him, that you are heard by him. This invitation, if you say yes to him, then it, life and your spiritual development continues to get better and better because the more you talk to him, the more you're going to read, realize that he's a good, good father and that you're accepted and enjoyed and liked and he wants what's best for you. And so guess what? You're going you're you're to want to come and talk to him more because it's easier to trust him because you are deeply known and profoundly understood and still accepted. And that's going to make you want to come back and talk some more to him. So people that talk to him in the little things end up talking to him all the time because their relationship is growing. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay. Shamelessly bother the father. Well, why wouldn't you? Shamelessly bother the good, good father. Ask, seek, knock. Why would he answer? Because he's good because he knows what's good for you. He's not going to give you stuff that's going to ruin you or spoil you. He's not going to take withhold stuff that will be good for you. So the invitation, the invitation that Jesus teach Lord Jesus teaches to pray, he's saying, "Sit down. Talk. Listen. Ask, seek, knock. If you ask, he'll answer you. If you seek, you'll find his face. If you knock, It won't be a slave that answers that door. It will be the most holy king, your father. That's the invitation here. It's an invitation to understand what's already taken place, that you are accepted, you are loved, you are understood, and you're safe. Any parents of adolescents, see if you can identify with this. I don't know if this ever happened to you. I'm sure it did, where you meet someone at a ball game or something like that, another adult, and they say to you about your child, they say, oh, my goodness, what did you do? You did something right. Your son, your daughter, Biff, he is, your, your, your son, Biff, he, like, he's so respectful to people. And he's kind, and he's a hard worker, and he's looking out for the best interest of other people, and he's clean. I mean, he's just clean. And you're looking at him like, what are you talking? And you look, that kid, no, the kid in the red shirt, that's my kid. No, no, yeah, that's him. So you pull out your phone. This kid? Oh, okay. I mean, you don't say that. You just kind of like, eh, what? What's happening? You drive home, you ask your wife, What? Because when they come home, they drop their backpack, their head spins all the way around, pea soup everywhere. They kick the cat. They kind of slam some doors. They cry. They scream. They pout. All the way until exhaustion, and then they just sulk the rest of the night. Yeah, that's the daily pattern for my child. Who are you talking about? Question one, parents of adolescents, why does that happen? What is this dual life that these teenagers live? Here's why it happens. Because that is one of the two most difficult seasons in a human experience is adolescence. And it is a blood sport out there. They are confused and they are scared and they're in a vice of pressure and they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to survive. There's no whole bar. There's no rules. Lunchroom is just a pack of wolves looking for the weakest part of the herd, and they attack them. And when they get home, it's like, I made it. I lived. And so they take it out on you and the pet. It's a good time to have pets. 
and sometimes the house. So parents, why do they do this? Why are they picking on you? Because it's safe. That's why. Because they're accepted there. Because they're heard. And they can scream and they can cry and they can shout and they can just keep rambling because someone might be there that will help them figure out the crazy that they're in. Home, that's what home is. Home is the safe place. Home is the first place you go when you lose and fail. It is the place you go to celebrate when you finally win. That's what home is. And Jesus is saying, teach us to pray. Jesus is saying, heaven is your home. God is your father. And he's a good, good father. You should talk to him about everything all the time. He wants to have a relationship with you. So just shamelessly bother him. Here's another quiz. Parents of adolescents. What's the key to parenting adolescents? Oh, it's building a relationship. Absolutely. But what's the secret of parenting adolescents? The secret of parenting adolescents is building the relationship when they're newborns. If you find out too late, it's too late. It's when they're newborns. It's when they're little itty bitty. And, and you hold them all the time. They're always against your skin so they can feel you and they can smell you. And they feel like you're always present in their lives. That's the secret of parenting adolescence. Oh, wait, there's another secret. When they're toddlers, that's the key to parenting adolescence. When they're just rug, it's, it's just rug time. It's just time on the ground with them. Just kind of roaming around, being on your knees, pushing a ball back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's the key to parenting adolescence. It's in the preschool years. In the preschool years, it means going to tea parties that never end. (laughs) It means pushing them on a swing forever. That's the key to parenting adolescence. It's the toddler years. It's the preschool years. It's the elementary school years. If you can figure out a schedule so that you can be there when they leave for school and you put them on the bus, that would be awesome. And be fun and be full of life that time. Wake up early. Take the caffeine that you have to and be the cool, fun person that puts them on the bus when they're fresh and be there when they come off if you can. And here's why, because that's the key to parenting adolescence is developing a relationship over the years in the trivia, in the mundane, in the simple, in the superficial, right? Everything's easy, everything's simple. Take all your requests known to God. That's what I'm saying. That's the key here because, because when you're parenting an adolescent, if you're waiting for that moment to start a relationship, you miss the window by 13 years. And you're making these deposits in those previous years with dimes and pennies and nickels. And if they add up enough, the bill comes due in the adolescent years. And you better have some relational capital in that bank. That's the key to parenting adolescents. Jesus is saying, yeah, I know a lot about that. You want to come to him at the single hardest time in the human experience? When he's a stranger, that's when you find out, when you're trying to find out whether or not he's your father or a good father. Now, Jesus says, teach us to pray, Jesus. He goes, okay, here's what you do. He's your father. 
shamelessly bother him. He's a good father. In that, you'll find out you're accepted and you're heard and you're understood. And God the Father will be the first place you go when you fail. And it will be the best place to go when you succeed. That's what Jesus said when his disciples asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Come to the Father all the time about everything because he's good. Let's pray. Lord, I'd ask that you would forever scar this lesson into our minds that we might find ourselves talking to you all the time about everything. While we drive to work, while we're stuck in traffic, while we're baking eggs, while we're mowing lawns, while we're cleaning the garage, we would just talk to you like a child talks to his good father because we can. You have given us the authority of your children. And we see that you are a good, good father. Lord, let let your audience, your throne room, be the first place we go when we fail and the best place to go when we celebrate a victory. Lord, let us be children that understand and know that you are good. Let us be shrewd that when we think otherwise, it is the devil. It is the devil in our memory or it is the devil in our head that says that you are anything but accessible, you are anything but loving, and you desire to hear us ramble on and on because we belong to you, and we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.